From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. The Supreme Court is set to hear a case this term that could upend the very foundation of our democracy, free and fair elections. In the case of Moore versus Harper, the Supreme Court will decide whether the North Carolina Supreme Court has the power to strike down their legislature's gerrymandered congressional map for violating the state's constitution. The North Carolina legislators are arguing for an interpretation of the U.S. Constitution, known as the Independent State Legislature Theory, that would render the North Carolina branches of government, their checks and balances, their constitution, powerless in matters of relating to federal elections, giving full power to partisan majority state legislatures to determine how votes are cast and counted. Now, while this may all sound a little weedy, the stakes loom large. If the court sides with the North Carolina state legislature, Moore versus Harper could change the face of our national elections and the rules that govern them. Joining us today to help break it all down are the ACLU's National Legal Director, David Cole, and Senior Staff Attorney for the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, Ari Savetsky, who also happened to write the ACLU's amicus brief for the case. David, Ari, welcome to At Liberty. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I want to start with the case at hand. Ari, if you can, can you take us back to the origin story of Moore versus Harper? How did this case come to be? So the case arises out of 2020 redistricting. Every 10 years, uh, we have the United States Census. We measure the population across the country in every state. And states are required to redraw their legislative districts, including their congressional districts. And the reason they're required to do that is, among other things, to make sure that districts are fairly, fairly drawn so that, uh, so that every person gets an equal vote. That is the principle. In fact, congressional districts need to be like down to basically a single person um, so that everyone has an equal vote as we start the, the decennial census process. And that's what North Carolina did. Um, they would, they drew their districts. The districts were then challenged in court, um, among other things, as partisan gerrymanders. Um, and just to do a little more say in the table, this is not the first time that congressional districts drawn in North Carolina or in other places have been challenged as partisan gerrymanders. Folks have been justifiably concerned about partisan politicians drawing the lines choosing their voters for themselves, illuminating competition, entrenching one side in power uh, for many cycles of this redistricting process. And so this case arises out of an attempt to stop a partisan gerrymander, in this case by Republicans, Democrats do it too, by suing in state court, by going to the state courts and saying the state constitution makes this illegal. And how did we know that the map was so radically one-sided at this point the, the the technology and the technical means to sort of both predict how people vote and to draw these districts with the utmost precision 
is very, very sophisticated. What this one expert said was the enacted congressional plan was in the most partisan 0.000031% of the approximately 1 trillion maps generated by making tiny random changes to district boundaries. So if you just iterate from the current districts and do a trillion different maps, this was in a you know preposterously small fraction of the very, very most partisan outcomes. In other words, it's not by chance, it's not random. Um, it's intentionally obtaining a highly skewed partisan result. And so with that, and with the clear sci- data science on our side, How did this case not just end at the state Supreme Court? Why is it headed all the way up to the Supreme Court? Right. So, and and I'll say procedurally, you know, the the state Supreme Court ordered fairer maps to be put into place. And uh, the legislature, the proponents of the initial partisan map draw, tried to get those blocked. And the Supreme Court denied that effort to to, to get what's called an emergency stay. Um, and so the maps that are in place at this moment are, I believe, the maps that the, that the court drew. However, the Supreme Court then took up the case um, in response to the legislature's attempt to appeal the state Supreme Court's decision. And so the question is, on what grounds could they possibly appeal on these facts showing that this is such an obvious partisan outlier and such a uh, unfair and disproportionate result. And the answer is that the legislature uh, claims the Supreme Court shouldn't be able to have anything to do with the process of drawing the maps. They claim that the federal constitution makes the state legislature independent and supreme and untouchable, even by coordinate branches of government, like the state Supreme Court interpreting the state constitution. And they say that based on language in the elections clause of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, that says that the time, place, and manner of elections for House and Senate will be determined in each state um, by the legislature thereof. And they say, because it says legislature, because the manner thereof it includes these districts, the legislature is the only one that gets to decide this, and the state Supreme Court has to stay out, even when it is acting to interpret the state constitution. So, David, I want to turn to you now. Another redistricting case that we just covered on the podcast was heard at the Supreme Court earlier this month, Milligan versus Merrill. It's a case concerning Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, and we believe that there is racial gerrymandering at play in this case. It strikes me that the mechanisms that we use to keep redistricting both honest and fair, are now being directly threatened this term. I'm wondering what you can tell us about the stopgaps that we use in order to keep redistricting in check and why this threat is so concerning to us. Right. There's basically three tools um, that we have to, to sort of keep legislatures in line when they draw maps. One is the federal constitution, uh, which has been interpreted to say that if you intentionally uh, draw maps based on race, um, that that violates the federal constitution. Um, The other is uh, the Voting Rights Act, um, section two of which says that if the legislature draws a map that has the effect or the result 
of denying to members of minority groups an equal opportunity to elect candidates of their choice. They have discriminated and violated the Voting Rights Act. And the third is state constitutions, which in a number of states preclude maps that are gerrymandered in one way or another to deny people equal opportunity to elect candidates of their choice. And so, you know, the, the, if the court rules in favor of the independent state legislature theory and rules in favor of Alabama in the Voting Rights Act case, um, it will have taken away or greatly weakened uh, the ability of any legal standard whatsoever to hold legislatures in check. And, and that's concerning because, you know, we now have the capability to really, you know, know how virtually everybody's going to vote before they vote based on where they live, what magazines they subscribe to, et cetera. And so uh, you can really draw the lines in a very, very detailed way that skews the picture. And, you know, unless there are these restrictions, federal constitutional restrictions, federal statutory restrictions, and state constitutional restrictions, you know, we're out of luck. And, And the independent state legislature case is so important because the court has taken itself out of federal constitutional constraints on partisan gerrymandering. There are no federal statutory constraints on partisan gerrymandering. So really, you're left with, you know, state law or nothing. And the uh, North Carolina legislature are basically saying it's nothing. Yeah, that's very concerning. I mean, I think it's really helpful to look at it from a perspective of the different tools that we have uh, available to us to challenge these maps. And without those tools, we are without the ability to make sure that our elections are free and fair, I want to dig into the independent state legislature theory. So, David, in defense of this map and to prohibit any alternative, the North Carolina legislature has invoked what is called the independent state legislature theory. So what is the independent state legislature theory and where did it originate? So it is important to acknowledge at the outset that it is a theory It's not a doctrine. It's a theory, meaning uh, various people have advanced it, but no court, no, you know, the Supreme Court has never, as a majority, adopted this view. But um, as Ari was suggesting earlier, the elections clause of the Constitution says the legislature of the state shall um, set the terms for elections. And the challengers here, the North Carolina Republicans who were found to have gerrymandered, are saying, hey, you know, you, the North Carolina State Supreme Court, cannot limit us, even if we're engaged in the most blatant partisan gerrymandering, which they were, because the Constitution gives the legislature the power to set the map and to set the rules, and it does not give the state as a whole, and it does not give the state court um, the power to do so. And that means the legislature is essentially, you know, the end of the story. There are no limits. That's that's their most extreme argument. Uh, I would be very surprised if the court accepted that argument. It's a, you know, it leads to lawlessness. By definition, a legislature is defined by the people of the state that chartered the legislature. And so, you know, when they charter the legislature, they do it through a constitution and it should be constrained by that constitution that charters it. And it's a pretty remarkable interpretation, I think, of the text to say, no, what what the framers meant to do was to say not just that legislatures are where this decision should be made in the first instance, but that there should be no limits. There should be no 
review. It shouldn't matter whether they violate all their own state rules in coming up with the maps. We don't care. I mean, I, I don't see that in the text of the Constitution, but that's what North Carolina is arguing. And just to follow up on the point that David's making, I mean, it's so it's inconsistent with the basic way that we define self-government in America to say that any government institution has acts outside of the charter that creates it. But it's, you know, to get a little bit originalist on it for one second, you know, the, the framers are very familiar with the idea of an unchecked legislature with an unwritten constitution. That was parliament. They passed whatever laws it wanted, no written constitution, no judicial review. They rejected that model and very explicitly adopted a different conception of how lawmaking works. So, you know, I think the idea that legislature could mean something much more akin to the tyrannical parliament of the 1770s and something much further away from what we all think of as the American ideal of how constitutional government works is uh, very, very difficult, very challenging to to believe. Has this theory been used in other case law? Has it been before the Supreme Court before? Do we have any indication about what it could look like coming up before the Supreme Court this time? There hasn't been a case that has ruled on it, you know, said there is an independent state legislature doctrine or not. Um, so this is, uh, you know, in, in that sense, it's a, a question of first instance. But there, ha- there have been justices who have expressed their openness to this kind of argument. And, um, you know, they, they include, at least in, in, to some degree, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, um, who's often kind of the, the moderate uh, on, on this court, you know, um, you know, he, he, he and Justice Kavanaugh tend to be the more moderate of the, of the conservative justices. But he uh, dissented from a, a, a case in Arizona in which um, uh, Arizona gave the redistricting power, as many states have now done, to an independent commission. And the challenge was made that though that independent commission is not the legislature, and the elections clause says it's the legislature, and so this is unconstitutional. And the Supreme Court rejected that argument, but Chief Justice Roberts uh, dissented, and it was a five to four decision. It was a close decision, and I'll say the Supreme Court agreed to review the claim here. If they thought there was nothing to it, they could have just denied review, since the North Carolina State Supreme Court had ruled, and that was that could have been the end of the case. So it's a serious uh, threat that the court will adopt some version of the independent state legislature theory. But there are a number of different versions. And, you know, the, the one we've been talking about is sort of the most extreme is that, the, you know, all bets are off, that the state legislature can do whatever it wants because it says legislature, the state court and the state constitution can't limit it. I, I would be surprised if the court goes that far. It would be outrageous if the court goes that far. Um, but there are, you know, ways to, to go less far than that but they would still undermine the ability of state courts to hold state legislatures to um, what the Constitution demands. Got it. So, I mean, my gut reaction to all of that is that it still all sounds very bleak and bad. (laughs) This case isn't just simply about North Carolina's congressional map. And I think, as always, Supreme Court cases are setting precedent for what the rest of the country will be held to. So 
It's not just going to affect North Carolina's congressional map, but this is something that would impact and likely lead other states to levy other maps that could similarly sway very far in one direction, just based off of whatever party is in power in that state legislature at the time. What we know is that legislatures will gerrymander. It is built into their d- DNA to, to, you know, there's no, there's no like um, absolute correct way to draw a map for districts for, um, you know, the election for Congress. And so they have wide open discretion. And once they are armed, as they now are with all the information that we have in the data-driven economy, once they are armed with really detailed information about how everyone's going to vote, why wouldn't whoever, whichever party's in power, try to, you know, increase the likelihood that it will win in more and more districts? Um, It will, it just will. It's almost, you know, irrational for them not to do that. Um, And so you need some check. And, you know, some years ago, and for many years, we at the ACLU argued that the Constitution, the federal Constitution, was a check on gross partisan gerrymanders. And the Supreme Court, you know, kept sort of saying, well, we're not sure, it might be, but we have to see, you know, we have to have an extreme case, et cetera. And finally, finally, uh, a few years ago, in a case called Rucho, the court said, no, we, the, Fe- the U.S. Supreme Court and the federal Constitution, cannot govern partisan gerrymandering. It's just, it's just too, there's not a clear enough standard in the Constitution, federal Constitution, for us to do it. But it, in writing that decision, the court said, but hey, that doesn't mean, you know, all bets are off. It doesn't mean partisan gerrymandering is okay. It's an evil. We all agree it's an evil. But you can go to the states to challenge it. The states can challenge and, and, you know, and now it's like, you know, the North Carolina Republican legislatures who are bringing this challenge are basically asking them to drop the other shoe and say, no, you can't challenge partisan gerrymandering in the states either. And then, you know, really all bets are off and we no longer have anything resembling a democracy in which the voters pick the uh, their representatives. We have, you know, it's totally the other way around and whoever's in power makes sure that they will stay in power absent some massive, uh, you know, shift in allegiance, which generally does not, does not occur. It's a who's going to stop me problem. You know, who's going to stop me? Who's going to stop me from redrawing the district so that no one can stop me? So it's both nullifying potentially existing election rules and also allowing new rules to be passed that further voter suppression or voter partisanship. This feels like game over, really. Um, It feels like the kind of last stretch here, you know, like in this project to ensure that only one party remains in power. Am I dragging us into oblivion too soon with that? Um, Is there any hope here? I think we have to come back after the decision comes down because, you know, I remain hopeful uh, and I think, you know, I, I don't know about what Ari's views are, but I remain hopeful that the court won't, you know, that, that e- you know, even this court, even a very, very conservative court will not be comfortable with a system in which legislatures are essentially above the law. There's so many good arguments sort of against <laughs> adopting this theory as the law of the land. But, you know, on this point about the Rucho case, the Supreme Court, you know, is... David sort of recounted the history 
eventually said, yes, partisan gerrymanders are incompatible with democratic principles. So I think while there may be some version of this theory that the court entertains, the court couldn't have been more specific that this is an appropriate way for state courts to develop standards and enforce them to block the worst partisan gerrymanders. So it, I, I, I hope we get more, but I, I think at a minimum, I would hope that just to be consistent with the decision that came out three years ago, that that would work. It would seem odd to me to have the justices come out on the side of the legislator and say, hey, this state Supreme Court, state constitution has no bearing on state election law. Because that would be essentially taking away some of the checks and balances that they have. I mean, not not on the same level because it's state Supreme Court versus the Supreme Court, but judicial review at large, it, it would seem contradictory to the role of their office and what they value as important being on the Supreme Court themselves to say, judges don't really have an ability to to weigh in on these kinds of decisions. That just strikes me as ironic. When the power of judges is called into question, the court generally, you know, comes down on the side of the power of judges. So. <laughs> I mean, it's in their own personal interest too, right? It, it's a funny thing. You know, the elections clause says legislature, but it then there's a second part of the elections clause that talks about Congress. It's the legislature can make rules, the time, place, and manner of federal elections, but Congress can make or alter those rules whenever it wants to, right? So if this independent state legislature theory is, well, because you point to the legislature specifically, then the legislature acts independently without any of the other branches of government. And what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander, right? So when they point to Congress... How can the Supreme Court review the election rules that Congress makes, like the Voting Rights Act? Right. Like Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Not that we've never seen decisions come out that seem to talk out of both sides of... No, no, never. Never. <laughs> never. That, doesn't no. Happen. that doesn't happen. No. Yeah. No, but it's, yeah. I mean, I think we're on the same page that, you know, the, the stakes could not be greater here. And we we all, you know, it's all sort of our duty to to sort of be aware of these stakes and to be educated about them so that we can assess what the court does. And, and you know, at the end of the day, the court's power turns on its legitimacy um, with the people. And, you know, it's already lost a lot of legitimacy. The, the court's approval rating is at 25% now, which is the lowest it's been, you know, I think maybe ever in, in modern polling and that's largely because of the Dobbs decision, because it acted in ways that were not like a court. And, and, and we could see a continuation of that this term. We will have to assess. And so, you know, it's great to have these conversations so that people are armed with the information that will allow them to assess, you know, what's the court doing here. I have two concluding questions, one for each of you. In a recent article for the New York Review, David, you wrote that while the decision to overrule Roe v. Wade was, as I have written, egregiously wrong, it still allows the political branches to protect abortion. This term, the court, is poised to go even further by not only eliminating court-enforced constitutional protections, but interpreting the Constitution as a barrier to other institutions' efforts to achieve equality. 
I thought that was a very powerful statement. wonder if you could give us a little bit more about the threat to institutions and perhaps even the greater project of democracy as we conclude this conversation. Yeah, so, I mean, the basic idea is that in Dobbs, what the court said was, we, the court, are not going to protect the right of abortion. We, the court, are not going to protect the right of abortion under the Constitution. But it's open to legislatures to protect the right to abortion. So, you know, we're going to give women's bodies to the legislatures, but we're not getting in the way of the legislatures. But in many of the cases this term, the court is essentially being asked to, in not to say the Constitution doesn't reach this subject, but rather to say the Constitution reaches the subject and operates as a barrier to advancing equal rights, a barrier to to protecting vulnerable minorities. And so the Alabama is invoking the Constitution in trying to limit the, the scope of the Voting Rights Act, which was passed by the legislature. Here, the North Carolina legislature is invoking the Constitution to block an effort to constrain um, its uh, taking advantage of the voters. In the affirmative action cases, the challengers are invoking the Equal Protection Clause to stop universities from trying to, you know, right the wrongs of our history and and increase diversity and integration in our schools. And in the Indian Child Welfare Act case, they are, again, invoking the Equal Protection Clause to say it's unconstitutional for Congress to try to protect Indian tribes and Indian tribes' kids from uh, wrongful termination. So in all of these instances, it's the court you know, if, if it rules in that direction, it will be invoking the Constitution not to protect vulnerable groups, not to advance equality, but to neutralize and obstruct efforts by other institutions, state courts, federal legislatures, colleges and universities to protect those who are vulnerable. So it's a really, you know, in that sense, a very, very scary term. I agree. <laughs> and very scary, you know, for us as an organization at the, you know, like the ACLU, where we're constantly trying to use the Constitution to advance the civil rights and civil liberties of the most marginalized. Ari, I want to turn to you for our last concluding thought. The midterms are on our doorstep. Our listeners have just heard about how the sanctity of future elections could be up for grabs especially congressional elections, what is the best argument that you have for getting people to the polls and voting up and down the ballot this November? I think it's always, and especially now, but always absolutely critical that folks exercise their right to vote. I mean, this is what these cases are all all about. What these fights are all about is whether we are going to have self-government, whether there will be fair representation and the, the only way that we can govern ourselves as a democracy is through the political process, through making our voices heard, through through voting and electing representatives. You know, one thing that I do find hopeful is that when state courts have the opportunity, just to, to sort of turn to the subject matter here, when state courts had the opportunity to step in, they did in many places and did in many states, including North Carolina, try to draw maps that were more competitive, more fair, gave more people a chance for representation. But the moment we abdicate in our part in the process of self-government, then it's really game over, to use the phrase that you used earlier. But in the end, the political process 
drives everything in our system, the political will of the people over long periods, sometimes over short periods and others, drives our system forward. And it may feel like a drop in the bucket, but it isn't. It's actually the thing that matters most. Yeah, I always like to think if our vote didn't matter, all of these people wouldn't be trying so hard to stop us for enacting our choice at the polls. So I think that is a great way to end this conversation that otherwise feels very bleak. (laughs) Uh, David, Ari, thank you both so much for joining us. I know that this is a tough topic to explain to lay people, but as always, we appreciate all of your effort. Thanks, Kendall. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you appreciated this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.